As part of the Federal Drive's continuing expansion of coverage of pay, benefits, and working conditions for federal employees, today we introduce a new voice. John Hatton is Staff Vice President for Policy and Programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, known as NARF. He joins me in studio. John, good to have you in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And just give us a brief overview of of what NARF is all about. Who's a member? How many members do you have? And so on. Sure. So we have around 140,000 members across the country. We're in every congressional district, every state uh, in the country. Our members are mostly retirees, um, but we have active employee members as well. Uh, And people typically start to look at NARF membership as they're thinking about retirement. Now, we welcome people in prior to that, too. But we provide a lot of resources in terms of how to deal with your federal benefits. So, you know, what mistakes not to make when applying for retirement, when to retire, what benefits plans to choose on the health benefits side. So in addition to our uh, advocacy, we do that benefits advice. Uh, I oversee both of those programs for NARP with our advocacy and federal benefits. And, and yeah, but our members span basically every agency of the federal government, every branch, both blue collar and professional. Yeah, that was my question. Is it mostly management or do you have some of the people that were in AFGE and NTEU or just a mixture? We have a mixture. So we have people um, in in both, really. We have both union and management backgrounds. And so we really focus on government-wide policies rather than specific uh, agency-based policies unless it's something that could be a precedent-setting type policy. Yeah, they say the grave levels everyone. I suppose you could say <laughs> that of retirement also. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And among the top issues, I think it's fair to say right now that you're looking at and what federal employees are looking nervously at is the <laughs> debt limit debate, the use of the extraordinary measures. Right. And each time around in recent years, these types of things like government shutdowns seem to take a st- step further than the last time into unknown territory. Yeah. So first of all, extraordinary measures. The debt limit actually was hit on January 19th. Um, When that happens, to prevent default, the Treasury Department implements these extraordinary measures. Now, we often get a lot of heartache from our members about what does that mean, because they are using the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the TSP's G Fund, they're using some accounting gimmicks on those to prevent default for federal government. Right. That's a good word, accounting gimmick, because (laughs) all of the money – I mean, the only real money that's cash is people's TSP accounts. Right. The rest of it is all like Social Security. It's all just one big smush of money that's either in the form of tax receipts or debt. That the government right. generates. Yeah, the Civil Service Retirement Disability Fund is all special issues for Treasury Securities, the same way the Social Security uh, Trust Fund is. And so no one's ever missed a payment on their annuities. No one's ever not been able to take out their money from the TSP um, because of this. And both funds have always been made whole at the end of it. So we don't like the fact that these extraordinary measures are used, but we're not panicking about it. We don't think our members should panic about it. What we're a little bit more concerned about is this being part of a debate over budget cuts and spending cuts that could implicate federal retirement um, and health benefits. Right. and But there's no evidence that will happen yet. But Not yet, but um, clearly there's a push for spending cuts in exchange for an increase in the debt limit. Now, President Biden saying, I'm not going to negotiate over the debt limit, 
But we also have to look ahead to the next fiscal year and really the next two fiscal years and having a budget to provide for federal agency spending. And so there's going to be negotiations over that anyway, which could also lead to spending cuts. And so I'm seeing this as more of a similar scenario as to when sequestration was put in place. And when they wanted to get rid of sequestration, they had to have mandatory spending cuts. Among the ones that are on the table from think tanks are things like eliminating or reducing cost of living adjustments to federal retiree annuities. Right. So people would get you know their basic annuity or get their basic pay. The question is beyond that. Everything's on the table, really. Yeah. We've seen these proposals in the past. We expect to see them again. They're in some leading think tank proposals. They have not been proposed by Congress yet. But you, know, you saw at the State of the Union, President Biden making clear that they don't want to do Social Security and Medicare cuts. And the Republicans were very clear that they didn't want to be for that either. And so when you take those two big spenders off the table on the mandatory side, uh, there's not a lot left. And federal benefits are one of those things that they could get a lot of money for. So whether that becomes part of a proposal and whether it actually has a chance of becoming law are two different questions. But I do think it will be part of the debate. We're speaking with John Hatton. He's staff vice president for policy and programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association. And another question I wanted to ask you about is your work for COLA's cost of living adjustments, specifically for the FERS retirees. There's many, many, I mean, almost most of the federal workforce working now is under the FERS system. Right. And so that's really, you know, the uh, melon ball has gone through the goose's neck with respect to CSRS for this, (laughs) almost. Yeah. So one of the things we're working on is uh, for FERS retirees, when inflation is higher than 2%, they don't get the full COLA. They get um, either 2% if it's in between 2 and 3 or it reduced by 1%. So this year, CSRS and Social Security got an 8.7% COLA. FERS got 7.7%. And now that 1%, oh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but you compound that over time, over the course of your entire retirement, and it could be, just for the average FERS retiree, it's tens of thousands of dollars. And if you have a higher annuity, it's going to be even more than that. So we've been working with some partners in Congress to try to change that. So there's a bill that was just introduced uh, recently this month, the COLA Act by Connolly and Padilla in the Senate. And so we're trying to push that and try to gain support for that bill. Right. And it's hard to know what the bipartisan support for that really is, because often divided as it is, some Republicans in Congress do come to the side of federal employees and their advocates advocate. Yeah, it's true. There's definitely a subset of Republicans in Congress that are that are good on these issues. Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania has been uh, a lead sponsor of a lot of these bills. And, and so, you know, we're trying to obviously gain as much support as we can and on both sides of the aisle. And um, it's not always uh, an even amount on both sides, but we can get people on the Republican side on board. And an interesting issue which does originate on the Republican side is that so-called Schedule F and there's a bill for that. It's almost in some ways like looking at a nasty orangutan. <laughs> it could really do you harm if it got hold of you. But because of divided Congress, that forms a kind of cage around it. But what's the latest on Schedule F and what's your position, I can guess, on Schedule F? <laughs> well, we're, we're opposed to Schedule F and you know that was the – that was created through executive order at the end of the Trump administration to create this large, broad exception to the civil service. And that never really had the time to be implemented then. When Biden came in, it was rescinded within his first week of office. Um, But it's gotten more attention um, on both sides of the aisle 
whether to codify it from some Republicans, from it's gotten attention in the news in terms of bringing it back if a new administration comes in after Biden. So there's been a lot of pushback from NARF, other allies uh, out off the Hill, plus allies on the Hill uh, to try to prevent that from coming back. So um, right now, there's no danger of that coming back. But if there's a switch in administrations, there is. And what we've been trying to do is get legislation passed to prevent that from ever happening. We'll see what happens with that bill. But yeah, I think that's going to be debated. And it's kind of one of those things that's going <clears> to <throat> rear its head from time to time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, being reintroduced, uh, I believe, this week. Uh, Kane in the Senate and Connolly in the House. Um, also with Fitzpatrick on board in the House. There was a push to include it in the National Defense Authorization Act last year. Uh, It did not get in. It did not have bipartisan support. John Hatton is staff vice president for policy and programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership Today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care, and and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. and you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's you know getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And 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 you think of I I you know often when he'll walk away, I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he, he he faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them, 
you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization what mrs Shriver, mrs shriver was trying to do uh was to to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities and you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together we still have traditional uh teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams all intellectual disabilities but this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot i think is truly 
revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.